Um, Hebrews chapter 2 is where we are. You know we started a little journey a couple weeks ago uh, through this very challenging book of Hebrews. Uh, the only book in the New Testament about which we do not have certainty concerning what? Authorship. You're right. Uh, Really only a couple of options. Uh, Which option does your pastor choose? You got it. Apollos. Okay. More evidence today. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we are. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5 and read through verse number 9. Are you there? Y'all there? All right, here we go. Beginning in verse number 5, here's what God's Word says. For He, that is God, for He did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified elsewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You've made him a little, for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over all the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he, again that is God, left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to Him. But we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Well, have you ever noticed that good preaching has the ability to vacillate between encouragement and challenge or rebuke. Uh, A good preacher will be able to take any text and they'll be able to, at one moment, encourage you. And you will be uplifted. And then just a little while later, it seems that that same text and that same preacher is swinging a machete and cutting your knees out from under you and you feel like you need to get under the rug and beg God for forgiveness. It's what I call vacillating between those amen moments in a sermon and those oh me moments in a sermon. Because there are some times that within the course of, of any preach message, you will feel like, man, I'm so pumped up I could run through a block wall. Fully robed, of course. There are other times in a sermon that you feel like there's not enough strength in your knees to support your own weight and you need to fall down. And you see, that's exactly what this writer of the Hebrews does. Again, that's why I say this is not your typical writer. This is an orator. This is a preacher. This is someone who's eloquent. This is someone who is trained with homiletical uh, abilities. Uh, He knows how to handle a text and he knows how to deliver a message. I mean, because here's what he does. He started out with pretty high encouragement for the people of God and talking about Christ. Then last Sunday, he gave us this warning passage that just, wow, hit us right between the eyes. 
And now today, he's going to revert back to giving us encouragement. So in keeping with exactly what he's doing, here's what we want to, here's what we want to think about for a little while this morning. Look up because it's going to get better. That was his message to these first hearers of this preached sermon, and it's his message to us today. No matter what it is you're going through, this too shall pass. No matter how bad the outlook might be, look up because it's gonna get better. Now, it took me a while to really get my mind around this text this week. I mean, I wrestled with this thing and then all of a sudden, boom, it hit me. Notice what it is that this writer does because this is extremely important. Notice with me first in verse number 8. And you may want to underline these phrases because again, they're, they're key to helping us come to the right conclusions in and about this passage. The second sentence he says, but we do not yet see. Underline that. We do not see. And then in verse number 9, underline this because here's the contrast to that in verse number 9. But we do see. So whatever he does, we know that he's going to be given a contrast. And the contrast is going to be defined by the content of this passage. So we know that the content is about man. There's an anthropological portion to this. And then it's about Christ. So there's a Christological portion about this. And the million dollar question is, what part of this is Christological and what part of this is anthropological? And he answers that by even setting more grammatical parameters for us. Notice what he does. I want you to see this. Check out verse number 5 and underline this. Here's what I want you to underline. He did not. Underline that verb. And here's what you need to write about that verb. It is clearly in the past tense. But now notice what he's doing. He uses a past tense verb to talk about something that hasn't happened yet. So when you see these verbs and track them out, then you, this passage seems to come together and the doubt between Christological, anthropological, us or him, seems to clear up. Now notice what he does. Underline these verbs. He did not. That's past. Now look at the world to come. Obviously, you might want to write future by that, even though it's not a verb. It's talking about something that's going to happen when? Off, out, in the future. Now stay with me. Look what he does in verse number 6. Here's your verb. Remember. Underline it. Verse number 6. Are concerned. Underline it. What are those two verbs? They are present. Now stay with me. Look at what he does. He vacillates right back to past tense in verse number 7. You have made, underline it, past tense. You have crowned, past tense. You have appointed, past tense. And you have put, verse number 8, past tense. Now here's what all of this does for us. It frames this passage and it helps us see who he's talking about, when he's talking about, and what he's talking about. So let's let the grammar, by the way, which is what we ought to do all the time, you see, Scripture is just not open to, 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 to everybody's private interpretation due to the fact that God chose to deliver His message in verbal form means that even this message is understood through the normal rules of grammar. 
So grammatical analysis is a huge part of understanding God's Word. So let's let the grammar determine what it is that this writer is going to say to us today about this message of encouragement when he basically says, Look up, little church, because it's going to get better. Now, what does he base that on? I mean, there's enough folk out there who are just eternal optimists, you know, like my wife. I mean, that girl is never going to concede that anything bad is going to happen or has happened. Everything is good. Everything's hunky-dory. And you know, sometimes I just want to put my finger down my throat and puke on her shoes. Now, don't tell her I said that. She's back here and raised kids. If I want her to know I said it, I'll tell her myself, all right? <laughs> but this writer doesn't say that simply because he knows the power of positive thinking. He says this with some very strong theological grounds. So here's why he says it's going to get better. Number one, he says it's going to get better based on God's past intention about our future. Now guys, that's a mouthful. Why is it going to get better? Because this is what God intended. Here's the entire import of that past tense verb. Isn't it strange that when this writer's talking about the world to come, the future, he bases it on something that God did in the past? That is the only possible context in which you can speak like that. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, your, your, your circumstances are going to get better based on God's past intentions about what's going to come to pass in our future. Now check this out. Man, this is so cool. I'm telling you, everything that God intended in eternity past, watch me, will come to pass. It doesn't have a choice, Jamie Baker. If the Almighty God, a hundred million years ago in eternity past, said this is going to happen in the year 2024, guess what? It either happens... Or he's not God, right? Everything that our all-knowing, all-powerful God determined in his mind millions of years ago was going to happen, even if it hadn't yet happened, guess what? It's going to happen. Because it has his authority, his power, his stamp of approval. It bears His intention. And I'm telling you, our God is so powerful that there's not one thing that He intends to happen that will not ultimately happen. That's just theology. Hey, that's what you study first day in theology class in seminary. There's a lot of guys that were absent on that day. They didn't get it. But by golly, that's just basic theology. Let's say it like this. Everything that God predetermined to happen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And notice, this is a message of encouragement. It doesn't look like it is, but this writer saying, look up, it's going to get better. And the reason it's going to get better is because God determined this years ago. Look what he says specifically in verse number, in verse number 5. For he, that is God, did not subject to angels the world to come. To whom did he subject it? What, what, what's his entire purpose here? You see, if you're saying Christological, yes. But this is gonna, we're going to show in just a little while that this is an anthropological uh, 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 portion of this text. And the world to come is subjected 
to Christ, but who's going to rule with Him? Angels? Who? You are. That's exactly right. So everything that God has done in the past in human history has been preparing you for the future that God has for you. And boy, you're going to be kings and queens. Did you know that? That's pretty good stuff, ain't it? Huh? I mean, based on God's past intention, it wasn't angels that He gave this privilege. It was to man. So now let's follow this out and see how this bears out in this text and see if that's really what this author is intending us to understand. Well, notice he skips verse number 6 because verse 6 changes to a present tense verb. Hence, that has to encompass homiletically a whole separate point in what he's saying. So let's skip down to verse number 7 where he resumes with his past tense verbs talking about what God originally intended. Now what did God intend for man if this is anthropological? And I think that these verses are, and I again will demonstrate a little, a little, while, a little while more. Check, check, or, or why? A little while later. Whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm trying to say. Here we go. Look in verse number 7. Here's what he says. He says, you have made... Past tense, right? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. Now, you know what this is. This comes, this, when he says someone has said, he's talking about David. And here is a psalm from David's shepherding days. David was probably out lying on his back in a green pasture looking up at the stars. And he was considering all the vastness of the universe. And have you ever stood outside at night away from city lights and just peered with the naked eye out into the great unending expanse that spackle with stars that God just spoke into existence? And have you ever felt like you were about that big? Dear God, who am I in light of all of this? So David says in Psalm number 8, What is man that I even occupy space in your memory and in your mind. Who am I? It blows my mind in light of how big all of this stuff is and how big you are because this is evidence of your greatness and your splendor and your majesty. You created all of this. But yet, here I am. And for some reason or another, you know me. And it just blew David away. So notice what it is he's talking about. He's talking about God's intention for man from before creation. So if you look at all of this, you can see all of this flowing right out of chapter 1, verse number 28 of Genesis, when God gave to Adam and Eve what's known as the creation mandate, that they were to rule, and they were to have dominion, and they were to have all of that stuff. So all of these Old Testament texts are interrelated. So here's what God did from eternity past. He gave us an elevated position. My, my, my. Of all of this stuff, Mr. Monk, that God could be occupied with, David laying on his back looking at creation. And you know, David could only see a thumbnail as opposed to what we can see today through modern scientific advancements and telescopes and rockets and space explorers and everything else. How much more should we be blown away? But here David is, and here's what he says. He says, you have made him. Here's his question, what am I? What is man? Who are we? You have made him a little lower than the angels. Now, you understand how splendid and how powerful 
and how great angels are, right? And David says, somehow or another, you've given us a higher position than angels. You ever thought about that? My goodness, isn't that cool? Somehow or another, in the hierarchy of creation, man is the crowning expression of God's creative glory. Not angels, but man. So he's given us a very elevated position. And you see now, remember, the writer is using all of this as basis as why it is that it's going to get better for us. (laughs) Because God's preparing us for something. And he's trying to show forth in this physical creation what it's going to look like in the world to come. So check this out. Our future is going to get better based on God's past intentions about our future. He gave us an elevated position. Now check this out. Can I show you this? Look at this word here in verse number 7. You made him for a little while. In the original language, it's only this. You've made him a little. Now translators add the word while because they are putting a temporal uh, boundary on that word. And that, that, that may be valid because one day his entire point is we're going to rule the world to come. But it also has within it a, a, a qualitative uh, uh, dimension about essence. And that right now we are a little bit lower. But again, his entire point is, no, he didn't subject the world to come to angels, but to us. So check out what he did. Number one, he gave us an elevated position. Number two, he crowned us with prestige. Look at what verse number seven says. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Do you know as a human being, you are unique? You you are unique because you are the only creature that is made in the image of God and been crowned with glory and honor. My goodness, if we could just get a hold to that, think how much differently we would act. You have a unique position, an elevated position. But God has also crowned us with prestige. I mean, you are the the pinnacle of God's creative expression of His glory. My goodness. And get this. You are all of that outside of Christ just by virtue of the fact that you've been created as a human being in the image of God. Now here's my proposition. If we start teaching kids that in school... Instead of teaching them that they just kind of evolved from monkeys, maybe they'd quit acting like animals and start acting dignified, huh? I mean, because isn't that what the text says? You uniquely occupy this dignified, prestigious place of having been crowned with the creative glory and honor of Almighty God. So that's a pretty high view of man, isn't it? Isn't that a high view of man? I mean, don't you wish we saw that reflected on the nightly news rather than some of the stuff that we see on the nightly news? And again, maybe it's because this stuff has just kind of went by the wayside. And you're really nothing. You're just a speck of dust in this cosmos that just happened to come into existence one day because all of the particles collided and there was a big bang. Huh. No wonder society is disintegrating. Check out, number next, not only 
Is our future going to get better because God intended it? And we see God's intention in the elevated position that He originally gave man. We see it in the prestige with which He crowned man. And we also see it because He gave man special power. Special power. Now here's what it is. Check, check out what He said. You have appointed Him over all the works of your hand. Check this out what this guy says. You've put all things in subjection under His feet. And in case we didn't get it, in Greek He uses a double negative just to make sure. And in English that's not okay, but in Greek it's just fine. Look what He says. He said, for in subjecting all things He left nothing that is not subject to Him. You know what that means? That means the original intention of God for man was that we be able to control our circumstances. We'd be able to have control over creation. But look, it's almost like this guy anticipates the objection. Look what he says next. He says, but we do not yet see all things subjected, subject to him. Is he right? By golly, you better believe he's right. I mean, get this. We can't even control our own thoughts. Huh? We can't even control our own behaviors. We can't control our own actions. We can't control our own tongues, let alone control our circumstances. More times than not, rather than feeling like we're in control, we feel like we've been victimized by our circumstances. Why is all of that? Because something happened that caused man to fall far short of God's original intention. Anybody know what it was? What was it? Say it loud. This is exactly what happened. You see how sin perverted everything that God had intended for this planet? But wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you said if God intended it from eternity past, it will come to happen. It will come to pass. Oh, it will. That's why he says, look up. <laughs> it's going to get better. There's a whole new world coming in existence. And that whole new world is going to reflect everything that God intended in the past for us. But now check this out. I love this. Here's the transition that he makes. Well, wait a minute. I can't get that transition yet because i got to slip in this other little grammatical homiletical anomaly that he throws in this text. He talks, number one, about your life is going to get better Things are going to get better based on God's past intention about our future. But number two, we've got to swing back and pull number six into this. It's also based on God's personal involvement in our present. <laughs> Why does he say it's going to get better? Because God's involved in your life right now. He's involved. Now check out what he says. And here's, here's why I say, why I frame this one in the present. Because notice... This is the exception here. Verse 6, these two verbs are in the present tense. He's not talking about what God did in the past. He's not talking about what God's going to do in the future. He's talking about what God's doing now. Present continual action. He never ceased. He always will do this. And look what it is. Look what he says in verse number 6. Someone has testified saying, What is man that you remember him? Here it is. God remembers you. <laughs> hey, that's so simple until it's mind-blowing. That's profound. Stop and think about you for a minute. Stop and think about what the world says about you and how insignificant your life is. 
how little and how meaningless you are. How little value you have to anybody, anywhere. And then put this alongside of all of this. God remembers you. (laughs) Do you understand why this guy is so optimistic about the future now? Because God remembers you. Man, have you ever ever felt like... I must have moved and God didn't get my address changed. (laughs) You ever felt like that? Hey, all of us do, huh? I mean, that's the faith part of this journey. But here's the answer to that. God continually, presently, never ceases to remember you. Here's how David said it in the King James, which I memorized. What is man that thou art mindful? (laughs) Mindful of him. You know what that means? It simply means that at every moment, because He's an infinite God, you are on His mind. Now look, I don't know about the theological accuracy of that old song that we used to sing when I was on the cross. Or when He was on the cross, I was on His mind. I I don't know about that theologically, but I do know about this theologically. You are on God's mind. Based on what God's Word says. Out of everything that God could be doing. I mean, God could be worrying about galaxy number X in galaxy alpha 10, but He's not. He's thinking about you. He remembers you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your concerns are. He knows what your desires are. He knows what your dreams are. God knows you. Man, just let that sink in for a little while. You're laying on your back in a pasture and you're looking up at the expanse of everything that God's made. And you have this overwhelming feeling of insignificance in light of how big all of this is. But then all of a sudden the theological truth comes in. God knows me. Check out number next. Here's why your future is going to get better. Look up, man. It's going to get good. Number one, because God remembers you. But number two, here's what he says in verse number six. Or the Son of Man that you are, here's our present, concerned about Him. Concerned about Him. See that word concerned, underline it. Here's the truth I want you to write down. God cares for you. It's just a rock-solid theological foundation that we have got to put down in our lives. No matter what everybody else says about you, God cares about you and you're on His mind. Now look at this word concerned. I I like that the New American Standard chose that because concerned carries a whole lot of implications. For example, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I had intended to do something when it got about 4 o'clock. I'd intended to go in the house, open the gun safe, get my rifle out, and go sit in the deer stand for a little while. That's what I wanted to do. So I was planning everything around my day in order to make that happen. (laughs) So about 3.30, we went to take care of some livestock. Had to get some mama cows in a pen and do some stuff. And we got all the mama cows in there, and there's this one little heifer. She's only about four weeks old. And it's amazing to me how even calves are born with distinct personalities from birth. I mean, there are some of them that they just come in here and they're just docile and sweet and compliant and they just, they're just dream 
calves to have. But there are other calves that come into this world and they are anything but that. From the time they hit the ground, they are defiant, they're mischievous, they try to jump through every fence you got, they try to cause you as much problem as you can. Well, we had all them mama cows in the pen and uh, I just happened to look out and there was one little heifer and she was of the former group. She's defiant. She is crazy as a sprayed cockroach. I mean, she's just wild as the wind. And I looked out there and she looked at me, our eyes locked. And she took that tail and curled it up over her back and I knew what that meant. She turned around and she was running like a deer as fast as she could and I knew where she was going. So I ran as fast as I could and I got on my side by side and I fired it up. White Johnson came, jumped in the back and I floored that thing and we were doing about 40 around a gravel road. I was jumping terrace roads and squealing. It looked like Bo Duke out there driving the General Lee, you know. My little wife was hollering, Richie, Richie, what are you doing? You're going to kill the dog. You're going to turn the thing over. What are you doing? Because see, cause she's, more, she's one of them naturally docile type. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> So all I could do was see that calf running wide open toward that perimeter fence. And I'm trying to beat it to where it's going. So I got my foot stuck to the floorboard on that side by side. It's quivering and shaking and I feel like six million dollar man is going to blow up. It's coming apart. It's coming apart. But I'm going deer hunting no matter what. <laughs> so I round that corner and that thing fishtails and gets around. And, I mean it was, it was, oh, it was wonderful is what it was. <laughs> My wife was having a fit. I could hear her hollering on the other side of the field. I bailed out that thing about the time the calf got to an interior uh, uh, cross fence. That cross fence never stopped it. Straight through it. And I'm running to the place where I know she's headed to get in the woods. And I ain't going to hunt no calf there. I'm wanting to hunt a buck, all right? So me and that calf get that, to that one spot in the fence at the same time. And I get there same time and we just met right at that fence. And I kicked that calf and turned it around. And she went back and run, jumped straight back through that, through that uh, cross fence and went right back over there to her mama. And what did I do? Oh, I won. I was, I was demonstrating my spiritual power, right? I'm controlling the animals. <laughs> So the calf and all the cows now are having to fit out there in the field. And I just walk in the house. I got my gun, put it on my shoulder, and started walking to my deer stand. Now, how do you think that sat with Miss Heather? <laughs> Here's all I could hear while I'm walking off getting the deer stand. I can't believe you. You were no more concerned for these cows than just to go get your gun and walk off and leave them out here. Well, what was I going to do? Go out and give her counseling? I mean, heck. <laughs> I mean, goal accomplished, right? But somehow or another, in Heather's mind, concerned, <laughs> concerned me. Yeah, if I want her to know I'm talking about her, y'all trust me. I'll tell her, okay? We got a long ride to Troy, Alabama. <laughs> in her mind, concerned means that you're coddling that you're petting, that you're telling it's all going to be okay. I'm sorry I kicked you in the snout, but I didn't want you getting through that fence. <laughs> you know, it's all kind of stuff like that. But you know what? My wife, and y'all can tell her I said this, my wife is right. She's right. 
You see this word, concerned? Let me demonstrate that I've been to seminary. In the original, it's the word episkepte. Episkepte is used several times in the New Testament. For instance, it's used in James chapter 1, verse number 27. And here's what it says. This is pure and undefiled religion. To visit orphans and widows in their time of distress. Now guess which word in James 1.27 is episkepte and how is it translated? Say it. Visit. Visit. It's the same word, Greek letter for Greek letter. So you see this word concerned when it says God is concerned about us, it does. It carries the meaning that Heather wanted me to have with that baby calf. It means to visit for the purpose of giving comfort and relief. And friend, that's what God does for us. In our time of distress, when nobody else can touch the pain in our heart, guess who comes to us because He cares for you? God Almighty. And here's what the writer's saying. Hey, God wouldn't waste His time on you if He didn't have big plans for you. Huh? I mean, come on. If God didn't have a great place for you in His preferred future, He would just let whatever this is that's tearing your heart out of you just tear your heart out of you because He's done with you in a couple years. But that's not the case. (laughs) Man, listen, I don't know about y'all, but I just had a fit with these two things this week. God remembers me. God cares for me. God visits me for the purpose of alleviating my distress and discomfort. Wow. That's why I can look up. Because no matter how bad it seems, it's going to get better. Because God is involved in your present. He just is. Now check out the shift again as this writer changes back. And here's where he, he focuses away from man and onto Christ. This is where it moves from anthropology to Christology. Now look what he does. Check this out. In in, in verse number 8, he almost stands up and says, I know what y'all are thinking. I just described man up at this level, and you're saying, but wait, we live way down here in reality. There's a far gap between what God intended and what I'm living. We do not see me being in control by a far stretch. So he says, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But look at verse number 9. But we see Jesus. <laughs> oh my goodness. Here's, here's why he says, here's his third basis for saying it's going to get better. Put a, put a D on that. I, I proofread this thing a hundred times, still missed a D. Based on the Son's perfect execution of the Father's plan. You see, everything that the Father intended for you and me before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, Because we blew it, guess what? The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came along and He perfectly fulfilled it. He demonstrated to a lost world what man was intended to be from creation and He fulfilled that. Hey man, was He in control? You better believe He was in control. Was He crowned with glory and honor? You better believe He was. Did he occupy a prestigious position? 
You better believe he did. Hey, here's what God intended for you and me. To be in control. Do you remember what Jesus did one night when his disciples were with him in a boat and he fell asleep and the weather got a little bad? What'd he do? Get up and say, well, boys, ain't nothing. What y'all think I can control the weather? They didn't think he could. But he got up and he just said, hey, calm it down. And the Bible says the winds and the waves became... See, that's what God intended for you and me. Man, I so wish I could... When that calf turns and breaks, I wish I could just say, calf, be still. He did that kind of stuff, didn't he? Remember that donkey that never had anybody sitting on his back? You know what? We used to have a day. We used to have a day once a month when I was a farmer cowboy... Once a month, we, 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 we called it Green Day. And, and Green Day was Sunday afternoon after church. <laughs> we'd get in the buck and shoots and we'd get everything that never had anybody set on it. And we'd, we, we'd ride green animals. It didn't matter if it was a donkey. It didn't matter if it was a colt or if it was a bull that never had anybody set on him. That was Green Day. And you know, we'd set on them green animals and we'd just walk around that pen like it was just calm and cool, like he was a finely trained Arabian stallion, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Son, it was bucking and snorting, blood and mud, and oh, it was good. I wish I could do that again. <laughs> I just get next to it today and my back starts hurting. You know? Jesus was perfectly, I mean, he, he, he demonstrated everything that God intended for man, he fulfilled it. So look what he says. Hey, when you're a little bit down, thinking that you're under your circumstances, don't look to yourself. Look to Him. Look what He says. He says, we see Him. Hey, can I just ask you a very personal spiritual question? Do you have the ability to see Him? Huh? Because here's what folk who've been born again have the ability to do. They have the ability to see spiritual realities and to see the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking to people that he knows has been born again that are beholding the same thing that he says. He says, we see him. Be encouraged. It's going to get better. And here's why he says it. Because here's what John the disciple says. One day we shall see him as he is and we shall be what? Like him. Thank you so much. So look up. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. Your future is just pretty outstanding. That's all there is to it. Based on rock-solid theological truths that this writer brings out. Now let me show you this. Check it out. The Bible says that Christ... Uh, what did He do? How did He perfectly execute the Father's plan? Number one, He assumed our position. He assumed our position. Now look, here's the same words used of us and Him. Verse number 7. You have made him anthropologically a little while lower than the angels. Now look what, look, what, look what it says about Jesus. Who was made for a little while lower than the angels. And that is a very temporal meeting for just 33 years. He assumed our position. Now get this. When you're talking about man and you say that you have made him a little lower than the angels, son, that's a pretty high, that's a, that's a pretty high compliment, isn't it? But when it says about Christ that you have made Him a little lower than the angels, wait a minute, we just went the other direction. Did we not? You see, what's high for us, He had to condescend to. That's how good He is. 
It wasn't a step up for him like it would be for us. It was a step way, way down. And he did it. You know why? Because it was necessary for God to assume our position to demonstrate that it is possible to live out the original intentions of God even in a fallen world. My, my, my. So he assumed our position. Thank God for the incarnation. It's the only way we have hope. Because he became one of us. Check out number next. Not only he assumed our position, but he accepted our penalty. He accepted our penalty. Look what he did. Look what the Bible says. Made a little lower than the angels because of the suffering of death. You know what my penalty is? Because I am a low-down, rotten sinner by birth. Hey, forget, forget anything I've done. That's the way I came. I arrived here in that condition. I didn't have to do anything. I arrived here like that. But you know what he did? He came in and took my penalty. He paid the price for me. He died my death so that I could have his life. I mean, we're talking about sacrificial atonement here. We're talking about substitutional atonement. The sinless dying for the sinner. And he willingly did that. Now, here's a thought. Do you know why Jesus could do all of this? Get this. You may want to write it down on the back of your bulletin or on the inside of your eyelid somewhere. Watch me. Because he had nothing to prove. He had nothing to prove. I mean, what do you have to prove when you're God? Huh? You don't have anything to prove to anybody. So since he had nothing to prove, everything that he did was not for himself. But guess who it was for? You're right. He was totally and completely selfless simply because he had nothing to prove. Now, do you you know anybody in your world that has something to prove? You know anybody like that? (laughs) That's right, Justin. You're talking about me. (laughs) By golly, the reason we can't minister to others so much is because we're trying to prove something about us. And as long as we've got an axe to grind, as long as we've got something to prove, then we're going to flunk at this ministering to others, for others business. We just are. By golly, it's His intention for us to be so secure in who we are and who He's made us. Oh, listen, 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 Richie. So there ain't nothing you've got to prove to anybody because you are who God says you are. And since you have nothing to prove, get the focus off yourself and start ministering to others. You see, this was an oh me moment for me this week. It might be for you too because it got pretty dang quiet in here. And normally when it gets quiet, that's an indication that a preacher is hitting the right spot. If I was a heartless preacher, I'd stay there and just grind it for a little while, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Let's move on. huh? I mean, this sword cuts two ways, guys. He assumed our position. He accepted our penalty. He attacked our problem. You know what our problem is? Suffering and death. And listen. Oh, yeah, he was totally in control. 
He let death momentarily swallow him. You know why he did that? So that from the inside out, he could rip its guts out. And because he did that, friends, you and I won't experience what the, the full ramifications of what the Bible calls death. As a matter of fact, this writer of the Hebrews, he's going to define, define death a little later in his sermon as simply a ministering servant of God to come to usher us into the full, unmitigated presence of him who accepted our penalty and attacked our problem. Look else what he did. He assured our pardon. He assured our pardon. You know why? Because he paid the price. Check it out. Look at verse number 9. Look at everything he says about Christ here. Because of the suffering of death, here he was, crowned with honor and glory, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. <laughs> he assured our pardon. Friend, he didn't die on the cross just for the possibility that we might be pardoned. He died on the cross guaranteeing that the price has been paid. Father, it's done. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be taken away. He assures that all those things that haunt me and follow me around and all those skeletons in my closet, they'll never bite me because he paid the price for it. Check it out. One more thing. Not only he assure our pardon, but he advertises. I didn't know how else to say this, so I just said it like this. He advertises our promotion. This writer is using all of this to support his thesis. And his thesis is this. Your future looks pretty good. He didn't subject the world to come to angels. He subjected it to people like you and to people like me. And if you want to see how that's going to play out, then let's look at him. Let's see Christ. If you see Him, then you can get a glimpse of what you're going to be sometime. You can get a glimpse of what your future is going to be. So here was my thought. You may want to write this down here. This, this down too. Man, your eyelids, backside of your eyelids going to be full this morning. Eh? You might have to start putting it on the inside of your belt. I don't know. You might run out of space on the inside of your eyelids. <laughs> here you go. Here's the thought that I had. I have so few until I have to write them down before I forget them. Huh? Here it is. Faith has nothing to do with the size of the obstacle we face. Now, 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 now let me repeat that again because that's a mouthful. Faith has nothing to do with the size or with the obstacle that we face. Faith has everything to do with the overcomer on whom we focus. Faith has everything to do with the overcomer. Who is that? That's Jesus, on whom we focus. And that's what he tells us here. He says, but we see him who for just a little while was brought down to our level. Even if our level is high for us, it was still low for him. So friend, here's what this writer... No, let me take that back. Here's what this inspired preacher says. He says, look up. It's going to get better. God remembers you and he cares too much for you for life not to turn out the way he intended it. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word.
And God, we confess within this one message, there is plenty of amen material. And God, there's also a lot of oh me material. And God, our prayer is that you have hit the respective parts of our lives today that needed encouragement. And God, you have hit the respective parts of our lives today that need a little bit of rebuke. But God, we thank you for the intentions that you have for your people. Thank you for what you have begun here at Grace Church. And if you've begun it, we know that's because you intended it from eternity past, which blows our mind. But we also know, God, that the Bible tells us that what you have begun, you will complete. So God, we submit our lives to you today, looking to him who overcame as our example, as our model, as your perfect intention. We look to him and we say, God, this day would you make us a little bit more like him, a little bit more in his image. God, I pray for those today that you're encouraging. I pray for those whom you are challenging. And God, may today we see him and take a step of faith towards him no matter what it is. Today you may be calling someone to salvation. I pray, God, they'll take a step of faith toward Jesus today. Today you may be calling someone to church membership. You may be calling someone to missionary service. No matter what you're doing, oh God, help us take a big step of faith towards you. Because we know it's for your glory and it's for our good as you fulfill your perfect intentions in our life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.